coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 24th of September, 2023. The Son of Man. If you were going to introduce yourself to somebody that you didn't know, how would you refer to yourself? I mean, how would you describe yourself? Most of us would begin by giving them our name. This is, I'm Tim. <laughs> Glad to meet you. But when we want to know who somebody is, we're usually looking for more than just a name. A name is okay, that's a good start, but it's just a start. We want to know something more about it, that person. So a lot of times, what follows close on the heels of what's your name is what do you do? And what they mean by that, especially if it's guys talking to guys, is what kind of job do you hold down? You know, what kind of work do you do? Well, I'm retired. If you're retired, what did you do then? <laughs> and so those are the kinds of questions we usually put out to explore what a person is like and who they are. We may also want to know what kind of relationships they have. Are you the son of what family? Now, because of my position as pastor here, that when my kids were growing up, it was they would introduce themselves to somebody and they would go, hmm, aren't you the daughter of Pastor Tim? <laughs> or aren't you the son of Pastor Tim? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that was an advantage or disadvantage that remains to be seen. But, but it's in relationship to someone else is how we get to know something about that person. Maybe the husband or wife of of this person or or the parent of this child. One of the relationships we find ourselves in. Who else do you know? Somebody that I know, do you know them? We would want to know. Or maybe if you were to introduce yourself, you would want to go off on a different direction and say, yeah, I'm Tim and I'm a, graphic artist. So that hopefully they would be impressed by that. Maybe you have some skill or hobby you would want to put forth, or maybe as you go into a group that has some similar interests, you say, yeah, too, I'm a bird watcher. You know, those kind of things that would draw some sort of connection and give us some insight into who this person is. If we were on the fancier level, we might even look for a title. I am Earl, or I am the Count, or whatever. So I raise this issue because Jesus introduced himself. Did you know that? And it wasn't often with the word Jesus. I'm Jesus. He didn't say that. He said something else. Some 80 plus times in the New Testament, 
And I realize that some of those are duplicate accounts in the different four Gospels. But some 80 times in, in Scripture, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And immediately, that may cause you to wonder, what did he mean by that? What does it mean to be the Son of Man? <laughs> Many have said, well, that's sort of like your, your statements when you open, Pastor. I'm related to somebody else, or I'm the son of somebody. But this is the Son of Man. There's not really a father there described. So some have said, well, what he was referring to was his humanity. This was Jesus Christ who has come in the flesh and it was referring to his humanity. And that very well may be. But I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. We know who Daniel is. He's the one of uh, lion fame. He's the one who was the, the, the person who interpreted dreams. And in the process, we read in Daniel 7, something that Daniel says as he gives insight into a vision that needed some interpretation. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel says, I, I had a vision. I had a night vision. The Lord revealed to me something. And in verse 13, he says, And behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, with which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so we see a picture here of this Son of Man, as he's described, as the Ancient of Days gives him dominion and power and authority and glory. And he's to rule over all the peoples. And for those who were just in the Sunday school class, you can see this is in poetry. A lot of repetitiveness going on here, saying the same things for affirmation and reaffirmation and reaffirmation. So why do we bring up the passage in Daniel when we're talking about the Lord and how he talked about himself? Because the phrase that Daniel uses to describe this person who has a dominion and a kingdom and authority and all nations are going to serve him is the term that Jesus used to describe himself, the son of man. And you say, well, okay, but why would he use that term? Because those that he was speaking to would know what I just shared with you. 
that this vision that Daniel had about a person who would have an everlasting kingdom and everlasting dominion and all the peoples of the world would respond to him and answer to him, Jesus said, if you want to know who I am, I'm the son of man. I am that person. You see the significance now? Which is also interesting is the fact that the term son of man is used almost exclusively by Jesus in referring to himself. In other words, not a lot of people went around calling Jesus the son of man. It was Jesus who called himself the son of man. I am the son of man. And the son of man does this. And most of the time when he does that, he's talking in the third person. What I mean by that is he refers to himself while he's still standing there as if he was somebody different, but he's talking about himself. And so he's talking about himself and he makes all kinds of statements. So I'm telling you where I'm going with this message. I want you us to look for a few moments at, at some of the ways that he comes up in the conversation as he then says, I'm the son of man and the son of man does this and that and the other. Because what we want to know is do we understand what he was claiming when he said these things? So let's first go to the very first reference in the, in the Gospels and it's found in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is in the early uh, aspects of his ministry. And there are people starting to come around him, people who are interested in sort of hearing him and understanding what he says. And in Matthew chapter 8, a scribe comes up to him. And the scribe doesn't call him the son of man. The scribe says in chapter 8, verse 19, Scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. In other words, I see you as a teacher. And Jesus doesn't take that cue and say, Well, as a teacher, I'm going to tell you something. He says, the Son of Man is going to say something to you. And here's what he says. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And this is our first introduction to that phrase, describing Jesus as the Son of Man. Now, what did we say about Daniel? Daniel said that this son of man has all authority. He's over all kings and kingdoms. All who are going to kneel to him. All of them are going to bow to him. And Jesus, when he uses the phrase to describe himself as the son of man, the very first time that it happens, he says, I don't have a place to call home. And so our first principle here is the Son of Man has no earthly home. And what a startling revelation that is 
to this idea of the Son of Man. Because the Son of Man, if he has rule and dominion over all, and all are supposed to respond to him, you would expect this person would have a palatial estate, or at least a house. And he says, no. You ever walk by a tree and see a nest up in the branches? Bird has a nest. I don't even have one of those. You see a fox scurrying around? He's going to run home. But me, I don't have that. I don't have that. What a powerful statement about the Son of Man that this one who has the right and been designated the one to have dominion, the power and authority is walking the streets and camping out because he doesn't have a place to stay. Just totally opposite of what you would think of a person who has dominion. A little bit later on, Jesus is involved in ministry. And I'm going to skip over some of the references because, like I said, the references to the Son of Man show up some 80 plus times in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And so I'm just going to select some. But our next principle is he has the power, because remember, he has the dominion, right? He has the power over nature and sickness, and death. We see many examples of this in the Gospels. Jesus is involved in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, where he uh, calms the sea. When the, when the men are out on the sea, and he causes it to be calm, comes to the other shore, and so he has power over nature, and his disciples, and, and I think in Mark 4, go, who is this guy that even the wind and the sea obey him? As soon as he gets on shore, a man comes up and says, my daughter is sick. He said, would you, uh, would you come and, and heal her? And on the way to the house, a woman touches his, the hem of his garment and she has an incurable disease and she's healed. And then word comes that the daughter has died and he goes in and raises her back to life. And the, and the Son of Man has power over nature, sickness, and death. But it shows up in a story in Matthew chapter 9, where there is a man who has been lame, a paralytic. And in Matthew chapter 9, uh, he heals him. And he goes, before he does, he says in verse uh, 2, And behold, some people brought him a paralytic, laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. That was the wrong thing to say. I mean, it was okay for Jesus to say it, but according to religious leaders, that was a wrong thing to say. 
And he said, some of the scribes said to themselves, not out loud, this man is blaspheming. In other words, he's taken upon himself a title of, of God. So what does that tell us about the son of man? Right? He says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, because they weren't going to hide him from him, says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to rise up and walk? Well, which one's easier to say? Well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are, for, sins are forgiven. Isn't it? Prove it. How would you prove that somebody, you had just forgiven them their sins? You know, they blanch white or what? No. But if I say, rise up and walk, and that person doesn't get up, then we know that was bogus. So Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. In verse 6, he says, but you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. Notice the Son of Man has authority. Just like that passage in Daniel. He has the authority. But we're already seeing something about his kingdom that's different than what we would think. He doesn't live in a castle, doesn't live in some palatial estate. He doesn't, he's out there. He's an itinerant preacher. He's out there moving around the countryside. His, his next pillow is going to be that big rock over there. And yet what? When a man comes in lame, he heals them and forgives his sins. And what does he say? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. We get all comfortable with the familiar, don't we? Do you have familiar habits that you follow? I always put my right shoe on first and then my left shoe. Okay? And that's a small thing, not a biggie. He said, but the religious leaders of the day saw their world a certain way. And when Jesus comes in and says, the Son of Man, speaking in the third person, I know who he's talking about, because they already accused him of blasphemy. He says, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. That shook him. We're familiar. We come Sunday by Sunday. We usually sit in the same spots. Don't we? Patterns of familiarity, right? Okay. What if Jesus came today and walked in? And we had somebody here who was on crutches and he says, your sins are forgiven. We would go, what? 
Who are you? All of a sudden, a man has authority to forgive sins. But because what this person wants was to be healed, just throw those crutches away and get up and... and in fact, a little dancing in the aisle would probably be okay. Well, we know that because when you get to the book of Acts and Peter heals a lame guy, what does he do? We read his walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> what do you think this lame man did? Wow, more of the same. And it happened to you and happened to me. We would say, yeah, he has authority to do that. He just healed me. But he also has the authority to forgive sins. So he has the power over nature, sickness, and death. And he has the authority to forgive sins. But Jesus, in his ministry, was doing stuff that made others uncomfortable but Jesus himself was comfortable with some things that made other people uncomfortable. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is dialoguing with some messengers from John the Baptist. And, and, of course, they had their opinions about John, too. You know, he was that wacko, crazy guy out in the countryside eating honey and wild locusts, you know. And listen to what Jesus said in verse 18, chapter 11. And John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And how did he refer to himself? The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they looked and called him a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus he is comfortable with those who are most despised. The son of man who has the power and influence to hang out with the elite. Who does he hang out with? Those that were most despised. A tax collector he was the lowest of the lowest of the Jews. He turned on his own people. He would steal from them. And Jesus had dinner with them. How many have ever met the President of the United States? I don't care which one. Have you ever met him? How many have ever seen the President of the United States, not on TV, but in real life? Have you ever seen him? A couple of you? Yeah. How many have been invited to the White House for dinner? No. No. Doesn't matter who the president is. What is your expectation about the possibility is in the future? 
No. No. And I don't care what your political persuasion is. The idea is those that are in places of power and influence aren't going to hang out with the lowly people. And we're not likely to be invited to dinner. I don't care who the political party is and who's in authority. We're just not likely to mix it up in that circles. In fact, the time that I did see the president, it was Clinton here when we had the flood. But I was serving on Woodlands Flood Relief. We had a little group that we worked in conjunction with FEMA and some of those others to help people uh, clean up their homes, get back into their homes and everything. And then the president decided to come to town. And he came to town and they escorted him out to one of the homes that we were helping with. And he talked with that person. And then he came back by here and I was here at the church. And he stopped right down the street here and visited with someone else and I could see him from a distance. I went over to the school to see if I could see him. No, they had me barricaded. Only some of the students could see him. But then he met with some of the people who were leaders in the town. They met at the city hall. They're in the fire station. No, I didn't get invited. Why? Who am I? I'm just a pastor. I'm not anybody that has any power and influence. I didn't get invited. Who did Jesus hang out with? Those that you would expect not to hang out with. You know what the cool thing about that is? That means we're all in. We are all in. All of us are acceptable to be in the presence of the Son of Man. How glorious is that? Jesus is, like I say, always causing a little bit of uh, discomfort to the religious leaders. And one day he was traveling with his disciples. It was on the Sabbath, which is already a problem because you're, you were by all the written codified follow-up laws that <laughs> trying to define what a Sabbath journey is and how far you could go before you got tired. And anyway... Uh, he was out with his disciples and they were hungry and they were going by a field and they grabbed some grain and they rubbed it between their hands to get the husk off the grain and then they were eating the grain and partaking and, and some of the religious leaders go, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You're, you're harvesting and you're and start breathing, you know, give them a paper bag so they can catch their breath again. And Jesus responds to them in, in Matthew chapter 12. If you want to turn there, verses 7 and 8. And he's, he talks about whether this was a good thing to do or not to do. And they accused him and 
He gave the illustration of of David when he King David when he was running from Saul. He wasn't king yet. Well, he might have been anointed, but he hadn't been put into the place of being king. And he was hungry, and he grabbed some bread, the show bread from the tabernacle to feed his men. Horrors. And you go, in verse 5 of chapter 12, he says, Have ye not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? He says, Some of you treat the Sabbath as nothing, and you're accusing me of violating the Sabbath. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and would have not condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so our next principle is he is the master of the Sabbath because the word Lord there means the one who is in charge over the Sabbath. And he says, who is that? the Son of Man. And the reason I believe that we have so many statements along this line is so we can get a picture of who Jesus is. And he keeps using this phrase, Son of Man, so we can link all these things together and say, it isn't just one little thing about Jesus that we're learning. We're learning multiple things. We're finding out along the lines of his relationships and his interests and his hobbies and all those kinds of things, we're learning the same kind of thing about Jesus. But it gets more serious in the next chapter. In chapter 13, Jesus is talking about the end of the age. And in chapter 13 and verse 40, we read these words. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will be at the end of the age. And the Son of Man, there's our, our description, will send his angels and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. And so in his statement about who the Son of Man is, we come to a very important truth. Remember, we started in Daniel and said that he had been given authority over all the nations and all the nations were going to respond to him. All the nations were going to answer to him. And Jesus, as he's talking now, he says, I am the one who is going to judge. And so he is in charge of meeting out justice. He's the one who's going to meet out justice. It's interesting, all along the way, when Jesus was doing ministry, those that were in authority were always criticizing and critiquing him. And he says, I want you to know, that the Son of Man is going to critique you. 
and you will get righteous judgment applied to you. Well, there's more. In chapter 17, and this happened in several places, but we'll pick one. In, Mat in Matthew chapter 17, he's talking with the disciples, and down in verse 22, he says, As they were gathered in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So what do we know? That Jesus, the Son of Man, predicted his own death and resurrection. Well, that's, there's actually a couple things in there. First of all, he looked into the future and said, this is what's going to happen. But also, he said in the telling of what was going to happen, that his life was going to come to an end. But that wasn't going to be the end. That he would be raised back to life again. So while the disciples now were greatly distressed on the day of resurrection, how did they feel? Well, they were still wondering what had happened and, and, uh, and all until word starts getting to them. He's not here. He is risen as he said, oh yeah. Remember we said that Jesus, the Son of Man, had power over nature and over sickness and over death. And he himself was going to experience that. He was going to die, but be brought back to life. In Matthew chapter 20, we read another statement or two about who Jesus is, who's this son of man. And in verse 25 and following, this is what is recorded for us. They wanted to know who is going to rule over whom and and uh, Tom read some of that for us. And he says, uh, Jesus called them to him in verse 25. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles rule it over them. And they have great ones exercise authority over them. In our society, those who are in a position of service should be serving, right? That's the nature of the way that our country was organized. We didn't put them into places of leadership so that they could have power and authority. No, we put them in positions so they could serve us. And these are voluntary positions. We elect them, but we put them into positions because of their willingness to serve. 
often that isn't the case. Have you ever dealt with some bureaucrat? I don't care what political party, just somebody who says, fill out this form. And then they can decide whether that form, the way you filled it out was acceptable and whether they were going to accept it or not. Or, and you go, ah. And we come to a principle that's recorded here in verse 28. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so we have the statement, the Son of Man came to serve, not be served. And what does that say in relationship to what Daniel said? He's been given all authority. All people are going to answer to him. And while he has this immense power and authority and all the nations of the world are going to answer to him, he's here on earth. And what is he doing? He's serving. But the last phrase of that same verse says, and to give his life a ransom for many. And we come with the principle, he came to offer up his life for many. Came to offer up his life for many. This does not fit the picture of a national or international leader. I come to sacrifice I come to sacrifice my life for you. And who did we say that he was comfortable in hanging out with? The lowest of the lowest. And he said, why would a person do that? And Jesus made that same comment. He says, some would offer up their life for behalf, maybe on behalf of a friend. Or, but would you offer it up for some scumball? Jesus said, yeah. Yeah. In world society's estimation, you are not even worth the time of day. And Jesus comes and he says, I've come to offer my life a ransom for them. We know that Jesus operated under the authority of the Father, and he says that in John chapter 8, 28. Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, and I have done nothing in my own authority. Speak just as the Father taught me. He worked under the authority of the Father. I'm going to give you one more one though and that is in Matthew chapter 24 44 Jesus is talking about the future and you go if he has a right and authority 
as Daniel said he did, and he declared that he would, that we will all answer to him. There's one other statement that he made a couple times. And it's found in verse 44 or 24. Therefore, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If this one with power and authority who is going to judge over others righteously, if he's going to die and then be raised back to life and he's going to come again, when is he going to come? And we need to be ready. And he says, you get ready because you don't know when. Now, the reason I've given you all these statements that come right out of Scripture about who he is and what he's about is because it leads to the key question. And this is the key question. And Jesus raised it himself. Turn with me back to an earlier portion in the book of Matthew. In most of these passages in Matthew, but they're duplicated in Mark and Luke and John as well. In, in Matthew chapter 16, you remember the, the situation Jesus had been teaching and, and they were trying to figure out uh, who he is, and they were demanding signs of Pharisees, demanding signs, and, and he talks about his his body being bread and his and his uh, and the and his blood being the drink for them. And, and so Jesus comes now to the district of Caesarea Philippi in verse thirteen. And he asked the disciples, and he says, what do people say that the Son of Man is? That was the question that Jesus asked of his disciples. What could we answer having gone through these passages? Well, we could go down through the different points. This is who he is. This is who he is. This is who he is. And that's why I gave them to you. And they come up with all sorts of answers. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then we come to the critical question. And this is the question that Jesus asked. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And that was intended to be very, very personal. Because we can come to church and we can talk about Jesus and we can talk about uh, the Son of Man and the descriptions here and, and there. But the question is, who do you say I am? Not who does the world say that I am? Or who, does, who do I say that I am? Because... Jesus certainly knew who he was, and he has already told us, and we've looked in the passages about that, and they said, well, you could be any number of characters, but 
Jesus and said, Who do you say that I am? And that's the question for each one of us. Because if Jesus is the Son of Man, which he declared himself to be, and these things are true that we have looked in the scriptures about, then we had better be ready because he's coming. And when he comes, we know what he's going to do. He's going to judge the world. And we better be right with him. He that hath the Son hath life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. So the question is, who do you say that I am? And that's a very personal question. That's something I can't answer for you. And you can't answer for me. We have to each individually answer that question. And we can come up with lots of different answers. Listen to what Peter said. Peter said, you are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you go, wow, Peter, way to go. But I want you to notice something there. Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want you to pay attention here. The transaction that identifies Jesus Christ and the answer to that question, who do you say that I am, can only come as God gives us the ability to believe. Simon was right there in the thick of it. He was one of the disciples. He got to see Jesus up close and personal. He got to hear all the different other things that were said. He got to listen to Jesus and about what he said about himself. And when he came out with, you are the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said, that's a good statement, but you got that from my Father. He was the one that allowed you to say those things. That was revealed to you. So what's the purpose of this message? That we would be confronted by the person of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And then having been confronted, we would think carefully about the question, who do you say that I am? Knowing the consequences, because we've looked at the scripture, that we want to be right with him. And that comes as God gives us the ability to believe it. In Sunday school class, we were looking at poetry a little bit, and in Psalms 1, it says, To blessed is the man who uh, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. We go about life. Who do we listen to? Who do we pay attention to? Who do we join in, in their group and who they believe and what they believe are critical for living. The psalmist goes on and says, 
But blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night. Blessed, blessed is the one who pays attention. Meditation has the idea in that scripture of rumination like a cow would chew its cud over and over and over again to get all the last goods out of it. And the question is for us, what are you going to do with what you know? Is it going to, are you going to take it and make it yours? That's what a cow does with all the nutrients in the, in the things that he's chewing on. Are we going to take the information that we know and act on it and get right with God? Now I realize that in this group, majority, maybe all of you already know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe you already know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing I have life in, in your name, maybe that's where you are. But there may be others. Does our heart go out to them? Because they don't know? Because they haven't heard? They haven't responded? That's the question. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? A question worth pondering, a question worth answering, and an issue worth resolving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful that you did not leave us ignorant, but in your word you revealed who you are. We thank you, Lord that we see clearly and the Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts and life and points out our lives and in, in comparison to yours. We thank you for the provision that you made your son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins and then being raised back to life. The disciples wanted to sit on the right hand and on the left, and Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm sitting in the right hand of the Father. Those positions have already been established. And so, Heavenly Father, may we recognize the Son of Man for who he is and operate accordingly, responding in faith, and obedience. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.